Hi, YouTube. Hola, YouTube. Hola. <laughs> Welcome back. We're here. We're almost ready to go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to This List Sucks. I'm Mike. I'm JB. And we're here. And we're together again. Together? What is it? I always I always think of Reunited. Yeah, Reunited <laughs> is a good one. I was trying to think of Boys Are Back in Town. <laughs> Be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, thinking, dude, this is probably the longest time we've not seen each other since like after some shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, I actually, I think in December, in December, I think we had to do one of those remote episodes because I was back down in Texas in December. But um, yeah, we had it's been a long time. It has like we've managed to dodge COVID. So that way we can do all these things, you know, in person. And so far, so good. Yeah. And it's just it's so much better. Right. So yeah. much better when you don't have to worry about internet lag or anything else. Yeah. We did consider doing it another remote one on Friday, but we figured you guys wouldn't mind waiting just a day or two and it's going to be that much better. So, yeah. And then um, because of that, loyal listeners, bless your hearts. Yeah. Started, started, they Bernie memed us. Harassing us. Yeah. Bernie memed us. Yeah. Which um, is kind of fun to be part of like the Bernie meme zeitgeist. It is. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. We got our own Bernie meme. I know. <laughs> trying to pull it up here so I can. It's pretty. Uh, oh, yeah. So uh, our listener, Daniel Derrickson, or his Facebook name is his name is Dirk Danielson, but his Facebook <laughs> <laughs> um, put a picture of Bernie and it says, when you're waiting for the new content to drop. <laughs> So and then uh, Daniel, Lee you. Stamper of OnlyLee.com actually had something to say, too. Did you did you read his his comment on there? No. What did he say? Well, I posted today that we were going to be delayed um, by a day in recording, and Lee was pissed. Okay? <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. So he commented, said, said, well, we had a deal for ad spots on Friday nights, and we weren't consulted on this. I know you guys are new to this industry, but there are contractual obligations that don't go away simply because you changed the date out of personal convenience. <laughs> You'll be hearing from our legal team. Only Lee.com's legal team? Yeah. I bet they're pretty legit. Man. Robust legal team. <laughs> I wonder if um I wonder if key members of the only Lee.com legal team are still working at Cinnabons in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. The last we checked. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out better call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> um Seriously, though, one of the favorite things, and I and I was a little bit bummed that we weren't together last week whenever we heard the messages because um man that was a th joy. Thank you so much. Like everybody that took the time to send those messages, um, they were magic. They were just really good. We got new t-shirt suggestions. Mm -hmm. Um, so send us some more messages. We love that. And we'll we'll keep playing them. It's fun. Yeah, so, it is a lot of fun. And yeah. and we just we enjoy the interaction. So comment away on YouTube too. Yeah. Um, YouTube too. Yeah, if you have like thoughts on an album we're doing this week, if it's one you you love and you know and love, send us a little blurb about it and we'll we'll gladly play it. Yeah. Cause and that's something that we can do after the fact too, is like if there's good cogent comments out there that are not just, you know racially motivated hot trash because we won't read your yeah. racist comments. Thank That's you. the one rule. Yeah. No racist don't shit. be racist. Yeah. <laughs> no racist shit. It's not hard. Um, but I think, I, listen, it's just another way to see what, um, what people are saying. And I really apologize. I just said, listen again, I'm going to really try and at least limit the use of that word in my vocabulary. I don't think you should mom. at this point. It is. And it's not even, it's not just her. Did you see that other email <laughs> yes, from Linda? Yes, we should read that off. Cause, uh, 
our listener Linda Brundy's had a suggestion. Uh, do you have the email pulled up there? I do. I Can do. you read that? Yeah. So, so Linda said that um, she's got a couple of things for us. One, she moves that we start a drinking game during the podcast every time Mike, me, says, listen, we drink. Solid. <laughs> Number two, she's deeply, deeply offended that Britney Spears is anywhere on the list. And Melissa Etheridge is not at all. Yes. Wow. This is something I've been meaning to mention and I keep forgetting Fuck. to. Spoiler alert. Because Linda has been pissed about this. Yeah. Because she's an avid Melissa Etheridge song. And Melissa is super prolific and has had some really big, really big songs. No kidding. So to have her on her be snubbed, that's a snub. And that's one that we should definitely cover in a snub episode. I'm all about it. I'm yeah. absolutely all about it. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, Linda's right. I mean, absolutely 100%. Yeah, 100%. Right listen, listen, 100%. <laughs> listen, yeah. listen, Linda's 100% right. Yes. No, she absolutely is. And Linda, thanks for reaching out. Um, always appreciate it. And anybody else, if you can dig up any other snubs, because JB and I, we're, we're trying to maintain a certain level of discipline with not getting too far ahead of ourselves to look beyond the list at least i know that i i'm trying to be a little bit surprised i'm doing the same thing and i think it makes for more interesting discussion when we actually don't know what's coming like if we already know you know then it's it's easier to you know make conjectures about what should and shouldn't be on there but when we when we don't know it's more more exciting yeah but the idea that britney spears and again I think that you could have maybe put some Britney Spears on this list. But not perhaps. that fucking album. No. <laughs> Gosh. God. Not the fucking Britney. Britney. It's her meltdown album, right? Like, yeah. We had. She Miranda, even talks about it. Yeah. Right? We had Miranda Lambert's divorce album. Um, which was pretty good. <laughs> we had Marvin Gaye's divorce album, which. Yeah. I love. We're all about the divorce albums, but the meltdown albums. Yeah, I'm 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 okay with semi psychotic break. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a psychotic break. Well, Maybe. it was kind of close. Yeah, it was it was borderline at any rate. Um <laughs> anything anything catch your ear this weekend? I know this is not Friday, right? We're a couple of days late this week. We are late. And no, I didn't really listen to anything new. Um yeah, I was I was pretty absorbed. It was a fantastic week for the the listening from the list. So yeah, I was kind of digging on that. And I I've already got thing. into next week's a little bit, so I'm excited about a couple of the the albums from next week already. But I didn't check anything out new. Yeah. How about you? Did you? Um, I did. Um, I listened to. There was a new EDM that came out this week. It's, um, the artist is Bicep, and the name of the album is Isles. And I listened to that just a little bit. And then Willie Jones, who's a country artist. Oh, no, it's Logic 1000. Logic 1000 is another kind of EDM-type artist. And I, she released an EP, so it was only four songs. Cool. And it was pretty easy to get to. And super ambient, which I really like EDM for the most part. I like to put it on in the background whenever I'm working. So the ambient stuff's right up your alley then, right? Yeah. 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 And, it, and, it, and it, was, it was nice. It was worth a listen if you're into EDM. You know, but cool. but the sad thing is I'm kind of doing this like I do cheat when it comes to new music coming out. And every, you know, every week when I'm going out and looking at the new music, I'll also go out and see what's coming soon type of thing. Because oh. Apple does that, right? They talk about releases that are coming up in the future. And uh, that's good. I, I wish so Spotify sparse. that. It's so is sparse, it, man. Like how far does it go in the future? Like right now, I think you can go out and you can see stuff that's coming out in late february at least oh wow at least big name stuff now it's not it's not giving you 
it's not giving you every single thing that's coming out, right. but um, but the big releases. So not a whole lot on the horizon, huh? Holy, fuck. stand corrected. I fucking stand corrected. Royal Blood is getting to getting ready to release their third album. That should be fun to listen to. Okay. Weezer has a new album coming out on. Uh, Weezer has a new album. Yeah. Is called, it like a best of album or something? No, it's like it's a called, brand new studio. Album. It's called Okay Human. Okay. Okay Human. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay Human. Uh, Lana Del Rey has a new album coming out. Um, down the nice. Yeah, down in the future. And I'm I'm not I'm not gonna say that I'm a huge Lana Del Rey fan, but she's she's pretty intriguing. Yeah. She's a nice um, voice. Kings of Leon, but I'm not a big Kings of Leon fan at all. Dude, I liked like real early Kings of Leon. Really? Can't do There's it. a song called Taper Jean Girl. Kind of like that song. Yeah. But that was like before that was before the whole what was the big song? The Sex, Sex is on Fire. Yeah, yeah, I didn't dig that. Yeah, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. That's <laughs> and talk about a out. song that got absolutely just bludgeoned to death. Oh by god. Yeah. Like top forty radio, alt Smothered. radio, every radio. Um and then Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters do have a new album coming out. You know, I did know that that was coming. Um because they played on SNL mm-hmm. like a couple of months. It's been a while actually and they played a tune from that new one and it was pretty cool actually. Cuz they were I think they were one of the last musical guests before SNL went on break. Yeah, that right? sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're going to be on break. I think I don't think I don't think SNL is coming back until maybe maybe this weekend there's a new SNL episode. Yeah, sounds possibly. right. But I don't really watch it every week. Yeah, I do wish there was. I do wish there was like a tighter. Um, I don't know. I wish there was more stuff for me to look forward to, especially considering that last year should have been a year where everybody should have been writing. Was working. Yeah. Right. Well, hopefully we have live music to look forward to. Listen, we do. So we do. Yeah, we do. At some point. It's just a question of will it get of, canceled? Of when? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's currently we, scheduled. Yeah, <laughs> we absolutely have live music to look forward to. We just need to. We just need to really kind of hope and pray and keep fingers crossed that yes, vaccines get in arms and caseloads go down and hospitals don't get overwhelmed and bands are willing to put shows on. Yes, because that's what I'm most worried about. Like the bands that I really want to see are not maybe not comfortable with the idea that people can gather safe enough. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I respect that. I respect the artist. It's the artist's choice at mm-hmm. the at the end of the day, but I'm ready. Yeah. You know? We're ready for it for I sure. I want to get a vaccine and then I want to see some shows. And I did submit a request as this list sucks. I figured we're essential workers here. And so we should probably be like first on the list for vaccines. Uh, yeah. The CDC does not agree. What? Yeah. That's fucking hogwash. I agree with you. Yeah. Hogwash. Yeah. This is an outrage. <laughs> But we are apparently not essential. <laughs> Except I thought I had a well-backed-up argument, but it didn't. I mean, yeah. did you attach the meme? That was before, so maybe now that we have the I meme. Know, yeah. I, listen, I mean, we've been Bernie-memed at yeah. this point. Yeah, we're legit. So I need to, yeah, I'll send that in with the attachment, and I'm sure they will have a revised answer. <laughs> They'll be fast-tracking our asses. In the it must be, yeah. <laughs> Boy, I hope so. Um, listen, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to beat people's ears this week. So do you want to, you want to start the, ear yeah, games? we should, this is a great week. We I, should get I'm, into it. We have a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that goes without saying, um, so yeah, let's fuck it. Let's jump in. Let's do it. So we're picking it back up for those that don't know on Rolling Stones list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. We've been working our way through that five records at a time 
five records a week, and we are at 440. So 60 albums down. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing I realized we didn't do, and I don't know if now's the time to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up, oh, no. is uh, at the end of the first 25, we did a recap where we went back and picked all of our favorites of each five. So we did that at five at, at 475, and we didn't do that at 450. So, we didn't? No, we didn't do it. We didn't go back and recap. So we should do that at some point. I thought we I thought we did. I thought we took a break and we kind of I thought we did. Uh we'll have to listen back. To listen to our own podcast. We'll have to listen to our own content and see what in the fuck we did. Yeah. Maybe I forgot, but I wasn't thinking we did. I do like revisiting. I uh, listen, I think we did. Okay. I think we did because that was when we took a break for a couple of the Christmas episodes and the New Year's episodes. Okay. And so I do think we did that. Maybe we did. But we can fact check and we can go back and visit if we need to. But either way, we're getting, we're within a couple of weeks of an of another 25 record milestone where we can yeah. go back and kind of pick. And now we're getting, we're getting into some blocks of 25 where it's going to be a lot it's more a challenging pick. for me. Yeah. It's going to be a lot more challenging, especially with this particular 25, just based on some of the stuff that's coming up this next week and some of the stuff that we went through this week. Yes, definitely. So, so. with that being said, let's dive in. Number 440 was Loretta Lynn's Coal Miner's Daughter from 1971. Loretta Lynn crossed over into pop with the auto autobiographical coal miner's daughter in which she proudly recalled her meager upbringing amid weepy steel guitar. Her mother read the Bible by coal oil light. Her dad sold hogs to buy her shoes. That resilient spirit carried over into the coal miner dot coal miner's daughter LP's tunes about feeling jilted. What makes me tick in parentheses and loving another woman's man, anyone, any worse, anywhere. And the album, as well as the like-titled memoir and biopic, secured her place as one of the most important country singers ever. And I would agree with that. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I mean, this is this album. Even if you don't like country music, there's no. I I would challenge anybody to listen to this record and call it shit or garbage or trash or just something that's not worth listening to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was. I would kind of wrote down that like I challenge you to listen to this and not have a smile on your face. Yeah. And the set and the heart feel good. Yeah, good. it is. I mean, it's feel good, but it's also, um, it's very authentic in a way that isn't phony. Yeah, no, it's like a snapshot of American life, you know, and especially like in her first song, I just love the way like the it really painted her lyric her lyrics painted a picture of of like a simple cabin American family life, you know? Yeah. And, and I loved that. Um but yeah, just something about the just the hoppy one four five country tunes, like they were all very simple, but it never was was in a bad way. And it just just makes me feel good at least. Maybe not everybody. But Coal Miner's daughter in particular, it does that classic like you're talking about the one, four, five chord progression, but then the key changes, right? There's like two or three of them in there. There's yeah, yeah there's two different key changes in both times. It's like like a two step key change or maybe like a one step up key change or something like that. And and it's wonderful. Like it's a it's a super classic trope in music. Yeah. Right? But sometimes it can be cheesy. That's the thing. Especially when you go and not on this, you know. Yeah, that's but what I'm, uh, I'm just saying sometimes it can be, especially when it's like a half step or a whole step up. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's just an easy way 
an overused way to kind of make to it a climax yeah. yeah or to add length or to just raise the energy level yep but it never felt like that on, on this record and there no. were a couple songs with key changes most prominently coal miner's daughter yeah yeah i did there was a part of me that and this is remember so this was released in 1971 so this is at a time where Quite frankly, the fact that Loretta Lynn got three songs that were her own songs on this album is, I think even that in and of itself probably felt like a winning accomplishment for yeah. her in 1971. But I do wish that this could have been a record with nothing but her songs on it. Yeah. Because the authenticity that she gets from the lyrical content of the songs that she wrote, plus the arrangements themselves, they're really good. Yeah, those you were, can those tell. Those were definitely my favorites. From so, Coal Miner's Daughter, and what, what were the other two that were her her original compositions? Anyone, Any Worse, Anywhere. Oh. And then, What Makes Me Tick. Um, yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, those were all standout tunes for sure. Um, I love her voice. I do too. She just has like this, it's like this breathy raspiness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just and her vibrato is like it's a little different um than the normal vibrato that i hear it's it's faster it's like wavery and quick like whenever she sings long held out notes it's like it's like a quick like bounce like jittery fast vibrato um whereas i feel like normally i hear it a little a little more a little longer wavelength you know yeah i don't even think about I don't even think about that as a vibrato because I think of a I think of vibrato as a vocal technique that one would use on purpose, and I think that what you're ascribing to vib- to vibrato is just the nature of her tonality. Does that make sense? Because it does. Yeah, but no, I'm definitely talking about like vibrato, like on the, there, and I could I could pull up a couple examples. Maybe I didn't explain it very well, but there's some times where she's like intentionally going you know doing vibrato but it's yeah. it's a quick wavelength it's it's like it's like faster vibrato than i'm used to hearing but but i know what you're talking about too because she just has that tone tonality to her voice sometimes but yeah she just because she almost has like um it's like a really quick quaver to her tone yeah her quaver is anyway, a good way to, yeah you know her quiver and, yeah yeah like a and then it's because it's not it um i don't know it 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 gives her voice um, kind of um, I'm, just, I'm I can't think of the right word. Um, She's hard to describe, man. It gives it gives her um, it makes her it like it opens her up. You know what I mean? Like that 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 quality to the voice. I don't want to say that it makes her sound, it makes her sound vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. It creates like a, like a vulnerability Human. aspect to her voice that is, it's really unique. That's not to say that you can't get that in other places. Cause I think that you get that a little bit with Diana Ross when we did the Supremes album yeah. a few weeks back, but Diana Ross's version of tenderness is nothing like Loretta Lynn's. No. And, and I think Loretta Lynn's is just, it's more, it's more poignant to me in a way. And I, I can't really describe how or why, and I just fumbled my way through a whole lot of fucking nonsense there. But no, no, it, it is sometimes it's is. hard to put things into words, and yeah, that's a good thing. Like if if you could just immediately describe exactly what we were thinking, 
you probably would you probably wouldn't have to put a whole lot of thought into it, you know. So. The vulner vulnerability though is a word that I was rooting for endlessly that I think is probably the best descriptor of her voice for me. Yeah. Um one track that stood out to me was It'll be open season on you. Um with like a funk wah wah guitar. You remember that one? It's like a country yes. tune, but it has like it has a funky wah wah guitar with they're literally using a wah wah pedal, which how often do you hear that shit, especially in country music from this time period? And then the whole double time feel behind that too, uh-huh. right? So yeah. you get, so you basic, because I wrote the same thing. I'm like, I wrote guitar work speaks a funk a little bit, right? Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was funk guitar for sure. Put <laughs> put on there. Put um, on top of a country track though. It's, it's Which wild. it kind of makes sense because I mean, that shit was around at the time. I mean, this was, Jimi Hendrix yeah, was playing at the time, um, or I don't know if he was at this uh, when did Jimi Hendrix die? Was it was it seventy was 71. So, yeah. um, but he had been around, and so it you know it, they just were throwing a little bit of that in there. But it was almost kind of Hendrixy wah guitar. Um, are you well, checking that to make sure? Well, no, <laughs> actually, what I was looking because I wanted to see what year Sex Machine came out. I think it was the same year, wasn't it? It was. It was so Sex Machine is actually a nineteen seventy release. Okay, seventy. Yeah. So, so Sex Machine had already been released, and so you want to talk about funk? You know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah, it doesn't get any funkier. So that so shit, that that was out. It was there. all out there. Yeah. yeah, it was all out. And there. they were taking they were taking stuff from that, and I appreciate that a lot. And that also had I'm a sucker for like uh, like gospel choir backing vocals. Yep. Which we're gonna get into on another record for today, but yes, uh, we will. <laughs> but that they, that song had that, and I love that shit. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, the bluegrass that you get on "What Makes Me Tick." Um, uh huh. I dug it like I dug it a lot, you know, especially knowing knowing that it was one of the tunes um, that she wrote and to write to write a bluegrass tune. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. And I yeah. also really liked For the Good Times, which was a Chris Christopherson tune. Yes, I did know that. You know, Chris Christopherson I'm trying to see there are a couple other notable covers. There was Kanye Conway Twitty cover. A couple of Conway Twitty songs, right? Hello, Darling was Conway. And yeah, I think there was another one too. You're right. Well, and in some of the digging that I saw, um, those two went on to record. I want to say that they recorded multiple albums together. Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty. Did they? Yeah. yeah. So I think that, and I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I know they were closely associated. Yeah. I don't know how much of like a killer songwriting duo they became, but I can only imagine because he was a really talented songwriter and she was as well. And so, you know. Hopefully they came together like Voltron on some of those later releases. We're exactly. not going to know though because they're not on this fucking list. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, not a lot of country on this list. Yeah. Well, what we what did what did we say like twelve or thirteen country records on this entire five hundred album yeah. list? Thirteen that you would call like real kind of pure authentic country. So I think we'll both agree that this that we're cool with this being on the list. Absolutely. Do you think with the with knowing that fact that there's not hardly any country on it, do you think this should move up? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I wrote that down. Because and and again, you know, when you're gonna be when you're gonna be so limiting in what you do for such a huge swath of music that was really, really influential. <laughs> you could you're hard pressed to find a more a more influential genre. Yeah, short of like maybe blues or um, jazz. Yeah. Like those are really, those <laughs> yeah. are really, that's like the holy trinity of music, right? Without country, blues, and jazz, like 
you don't, you don't have it. any of the fucking music we listen to these days. <laughs> right? You're like, yeah, fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. Twelve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many? How many countries? How many country records do we got on this? Thirteen. That's ah, perfect. It's about fuck. Don't worry about it. It's and perfect. fucking fourteen Britney Spears records. <laughs> I don't even know if she has fourteen records. Probably not. <laughs> right no, not but there. <laughs> listen, there is plenty of other dog shit that's um that's got thrown onto here. So so yeah, listen, I'm I added it to my digital library. I will. Um, I did too. Yeah, I'll find this. I'll find this record too. I don't, you know, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to go online trying to hunt it down. Yeah. I'll probably find it. And I'll pay a good price for it. I'm not going gung-ho ordering it or anything, but if yeah. I'm at a at a record shop, which I frequently find myself, <laughs> I will probably <laughs> pick it up if I see yeah. it. So. Yep. I'm there with you, too. So good on you, Loretta, and good on you, Rolling Stone, because this was, this was a jam. And that's a short one, so throw it on, guys. It's like a half hour long. Yeah. And yeah. it's and it, like all the songs are really concise. There's no yeah, it's paced really well. Yeah, it, nobody should ever have any problem getting through this. But I mean, listen, I guess if you're only going to listen to a couple of songs, you got to listen to Coal Miner's Daughter. Obviously, I think um, for me, if I was only going to tell you to do one other song, I would tell you to do um, probably "It'll Be Open Season on You." Yep, that's what I was about to say too. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, the the outro track was pretty solid too. Snowbird. Snowbird. Yeah. Yeah. I loved the piano runs on Snowbird. It was yep. really, it was really, really cool. Yeah, um, nice but, snappy upbeat. There was some uh some Dobro on there too, which I like Dobro. Listen, it's a half hour. Yeah. Just, Just listen do to the, the whole, whole thing. thing. Just you have, you have thing. a half hour. You do. Who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> Go drive somewhere. Go drive across town because by the time you get to the other side of town, you'll be done. Or at least you'll be getting a snowbird, and then you'll sit in a parking lot or in your driveway and listen to it for a little bit longer. Yeah. So, moving on. Moving on. Let's do it. Please. Let's. I know do you're it. excited about this next one, Mike. Four thirty nine. James Brown. Woo. Sex Machine from 1970. Rolling Stone says kicked off by its hypnotic 11 minute title track, a studio jam to which Brown added fake crowd noise. I, oh, I, I, I love that so much. Um, Sex Machine signaled a new funk renaissance for soul brother number one. Thanks in part to the groovy skills of bassist Bootsy Collins and his guitarist brother catfish who had just joined the band pairing sex machine with a legit live set recorded by Brown's previous ensemble. Um, it's a man's 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 world sounds devastating. The LP continued his legend as one of the all time greatest live showmen. I can't, I cannot stop listening to this record and this record ended up turning me on to the payback, mm -hmm. which came out basically like a year later, yeah, I think in after. 71 or 72. And I just, can't, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't get enough James Brown in my life. Yes. You're, you're obsessed with this one and I'm right there with you too. This is, they call James Brown, the godfather of funk, right? That's I think that's the title. Is it the Godfather of Funk or is it the Godfather of Soul? Oh God, maybe I fucked it up. Is it Soul? <laughs> um, I gotta find out for sure. But uh, and he really is that. And this album, what, yeah. whichever one, whether it's Soul or Funk, I mean, I think it's more Funk. I well, um, this album in particular is definitely more. Apparently, funk. they call him Godfather of Soul. Um, but Otis should Red be Funk. Otis Redding <laughs> is like you, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> deserves recognized for that. Um. Yeah, this was definitely more funk for me. There were definitely a couple soul tunes on it, but yeah. for the most part, it was it was that funk. Yeah. And even like the the first song, that wasn't live. It, 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 
I thought it was live, and then then I did some research on it, and it's it's all fake. But it's like <laughs> eleven minutes long, so they're just like jamming in the studio for for like eleven minutes in they're the same way that you would at a live studio. show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fucking and, great. And if you listen to like, okay, so they do. So they they clearly lifted the introduction because the album starts with, and now the most fantastic singer on the planet, the hardest working man in show business, Mr. James Brown. And the crowd goes crazy. And clearly the announcer guy was from the show in Augusta, Georgia. Georgia, Yeah. Yeah. We're all, because I want to say several of the tunes, I I actually kind of wrote it down. Yeah. Several of the tunes are really live from a show that he did in Augusta. So I don't want no, but this is track six. I don't want nobody to give me nothing is actually the first live recording yeah and that's from august augusta georgia and then lowdown popcorn is not that's a studio recording and then i think maybe the rest the rest are live i want to say yeah because spinning wheel was live. if i rule the world there was a time it's a man's man's world please 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 and i can't stand myself yes and then mother popcorn was another one that closed out the show and also i don't think bootsy collins and catfish collins were on those live recordings right I feel like um, the second half of the record has a, di- had a different bass player in it. That I don't know. And while while we're talking, I'll kind of I look that up pretty, so I can confirm. I, w- but. I dug pretty deep into this, though, when I was listening to it, only because I had already, like, I did two different cold listens to this because I couldn't, like, I couldn't really grasp how much I was enjoying it. <laughs> and so I did, like, two cold listens. Oh, I listened listens. to it at least, at least two two times. Yeah. And then I listened to it again when I was taking notes with my headphones on. And so when I was listening to it that third time, I was giving myself a little bit more time to just try to go through and do a little bit of background on it. Yeah. So the get the get up, I feel like being a sex machine medley, which I think includes um, that and brother rap and bewildered. And I got the feeling and give it up or turn it a loose. I think those are all Bootsy Collins and Catfish Collins. But then when it goes to the live track, that's not those guys. That's Jimmy Nolan on guitar, who is wow. really fucking fantastic. Yeah. And I love Catfish too, but I was also I was surprised by by Jimmy Nolan. Um I feel like I wrote something down about him because he apparently he played with with him a lot. That's a little bit Honestly, that's a little bit shocking because one of the things that I read was just how brutally difficult James Brown was on basically all of his backing bands. Oh, just like Frank Zappa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it and it became it sounds like it was one of those things because Catfish and Bootsy and the rest of that band, um, because a lot of the members of that band ended up with George Clinton in Parliament Funkadelic. And a lot of those members of those bands, they were only playing with James Brown for basically about 11 months before yeah. they had had enough of his shit. And they're like, all right, we got to get, fuck, get like, fuck this guy. Yeah, yeah. we got to, we got to do something different. So, um, I don't, I don't know what to say because I guess I was expecting the Godfather of Soul, right? And this album is, it is a masterclass in funk. Yeah. I mean, just I feel like everybody thinks of James Brown as a funk guy. I feel like that's that's how I always think of him. So it's weird. But I mean, I didn't have a ton of exposure to James Brown either before listening to this record, you know, or listening to the payback. If I ruled the well, I definitely have spent a lot of time listening to the live at the Apollo record, which I think I bet you that's on this list. That's like considered one of the greatest live albums of all time. 
Which one? He's released four of them. There's one though that's like <laughs> it's like I know he's released several live. There's yeah, like live a couple different Apollo. ones, but there's like one that's a standout one, I believe. I found a collection of four different Live at the Apollo releases that I listened to all of those shows. And it's what do you think? And th- that collection is a lot of fun because the very first recording I want to say was like from 1964 and 1965 when he was still very much more of a soul guy. Then the next one was from 69 or 70. And then the one after that was from 73 or 74. And then the last part of that collection I want to say was from 78 or 79. And so you get like this really cool breadth of like how he kind of grew and changed as yeah. his style kind of morphed and changed. And so it was a cool. Listen, a very cool. I want to say that there's one of those Apollo recording that's like stand out and that's considered one of the, and I think it's they the were last all, one for some reason. But they I don't were know all about really that. good, dude. Yeah. They were all really, really good. Yeah. And for me, what, what I love probably the most about these is when it's just like his band forming a little backing like palette for him to just fuck around. Yeah. You know, and like especially like the first song, it's just it's just groove. That's all mm-hmm. it is. It's just a groove. It's like the bass line's kind of doing the same thing the whole time, but in such a tight pocket way with the drums that it's just you could sit there and it could go twice as long and you wouldn't get tired of it because you're just no. you're just you get lost in it yeah and james brown is just doing his fucking thing and he's yeah. like i was thinking about this like rarely do you find an artist that commands the audience and the band's attention alike i mean you can tell that especially in these live recordings like that everybody in the audience is hanging on his every word and move like and i was trying to think what other artists have done that? And I was thinking like a rock equivalent would be like Freddie Mercury, I guess. Yeah. But, but who else, like, other than those two guys, like commands the attention of an audience in that way? Where like, if you go see James Brown, you're, you're staring at James Brown and you're listening to everything he does for that entire time period. And same for if you go see, if you saw Queen back in the day, I guarantee you were hanging on, not that you're not appreciating the, the rest of the band because they're fucking fantastic in both cases, but you're definitely hanging on every single f- word that Freddie Mercury that Freddie says. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Let me ask you this though, because I've never been to any of those shows. But you know, when you get when you get into the live tracks, whether it is Spinning Wheel or and Low Down Popcorn was not a live track. No. Um, but Spinning Wheel definitely was, and I want to say Lick and Stick was as well, but. Lick and Stick did have that did have James Brown like scatting and kind of singing some over the top of Lick and Stick, right? I think so. Because I'm just trying to remember. Wheel was an instrumental, purely instrumental. And that's another thing I was thinking is I love that he kind of he's fucking James Brown. He still lets his band take a song and show off. And that's you know? so that's what I was most curious about is like if you went to see James Brown, how many times did James Brown just say? Take it away. Fucking listen to like, yeah, I'm James Brown, motherfucker, but you y'all should check out these people too and just let them rip. And his band is so good, dude. His so band tight. is so tight. And it, it almost gets overshadowed by James Brown, but because he's just probably one of the best front mans that's that's ever lived. You know? Yeah, but because he it wasn't just the voice, it wasn't just everything that he was singing, and especially mannerisms. Yeah, and on the back half of this album, some of the howls that he does. And you can really only call it howls because he is just—he does that little like cat scratch scream. Yes, you know but I, mean? I love it. 
Cause Me I, too. I mean, I yeah. really, really love it within the context of the music because he's just, he's just like, yeah, yeah. He's just, he's <laughs> dude, just that was pretty good it, right there. <laughs> he's just getting after it. Cause he's getting down. Um, dude. Yeah. I wrote, so he did that on bewildered. Okay. And I wrote down Brown, James Brown just going fucking crazy with these screams. Yeah. And I wrote, he must be mainlining Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by I don't know. 19, by Maybe. 1970, yeah, probably was, right? He could have been. Who yeah, knows? At this point. Maybe he's like Frank Zappa in that, like, Frank Zappa was a hardcore, no drug use guy. Only, so. only James Brown was the exact opposite. Yeah. I, was he? Because I actually don't know. Was he pretty heavy into? Uh, yeah. yeah, I haven't really done a lot of reading into that. Oh, <laughs> uh, listen, don't do any reading. Just go out and look at videos of his interviews later in life because he's got a couple of fucking banger interviews. Oh yeah, <laughs> on like CNN and news networks like that, where he is just he's he's clearly at his fucking mind on cocaine. Nice pouring sweat. Okay, like so dressed he, in like surely... per, oh yeah yeah. Yeah. Throughout this whole thing. Yeah, he was a mad ripped. Yeah. He was a madman at this point. Um, one of the interesting things that I found, like apparently James Brown was notorious for um for telling his band on a pretty regular basis that they were really terrible <laughs> and that they weren't any good and that they needed to get their ass back into the studio and practice more because this show sounded like shit. And I guess that that was one of the things that like the 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 Collins brothers got tired of really really quickly because yeah. they would say that there would be nights where they absolutely knew that they smashed the show like no miss not like they they just crushed it they could yeah. all feel it and James Brown would come backstage and just be raped Rip the of fuck out of all of them and <laughs> that tell would them, get old yeah tell them how bad they were terrible and just that they needed to practice more and then on other nights where the band knew that they weren't very tight and that they had work to do. He would come backstage and he'd be like, you are the best man I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> you guys crushed tonight. And it was like this constant like psychological warfare. It's like emotional abuse. Basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically. And actually just looking at this kind of side note, but we were just talking about how James Brown like let the band take over on spinning wheel on the instrumental. Turns out he played organ on that. So he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't really letting them. He wasn't really letting them take over. No. And his organ was set up right in the center of the stage and everybody else was 45 feet behind. And him. everyone else was pitch black. And it was just a spotlight <laughs> on James Brown. <laughs> He's like, I don't want anybody to be able to see them at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to tell everybody the songs to go out and listen to. But realistically, what I would tell you is everybody should go out and listen to this whole, this whole album. Yeah. If you're going to listen to one probably listen to the first track i would say yeah yeah if you're only, if you're really only going to do one you got to do um yeah you got to you got to do get up i feel like being a sex machine technically yeah. the full name of the song if uh, but if you haven't listened to the live version of it's a man's 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 world on this disc uh, oh, do yourself yeah. a favor because it's it's a real gem listen i added this and the payback, which I'm hoping that we get to the payback later, because if this album so? is on the list and the payback isn't, I don't know what the fuck is happening in this world. Okay, because the payback is really, really good. I I thought it was a better album than Sex Machine, but I've also already I ordered the vinyl when I was down in Texas and it got here yesterday, and I've already listened to the vinyl a couple times. I bet we get a live one too. I bet we get. Uh, I think you're right. 
the Apollo. I hope so. Um, but yeah, I added it to digital as well, and I will definitely buy the vinyl. I didn't order it yet, but and obviously this should be on the list. Yeah, no I, question. I might. Do you like the position of it? Depends on what else. Depends if that if the payback's on there and if the if live at the Apollo is. If this is the only James Brown record, that's a crime, Whoa. and it should definitely be moved up. Yeah, that's a bold statement, Cotton. I'm saying I if, can't imagine that's if. true. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that. I think that's the case. But listen, I don't want to. I don't want to forget about a friend of the show, Rex, uh, Rex Todd. He's like, he's, he's playing, he's, he's doing the home game with us. And at some point in time, we'll have Rex on as a guest host. Yes. Uh, we, we just got, we got to work that out with, uh, with the good sir. But I do want to say that he agreed with us on Loretta Lynn. Yeah. Um, he said, I'm an old soul and I absolutely love the albums, artists and sounds of the early years of country music recording. Coal Miner's Daughters is a staple of country music, as is Loretta. She covers Hello, Darling, originally written by Conway Twitty a year prior, but she makes it hers. She and he really loves Hello, Darling, like loves it a lot. Um, classic Nashville sound, though. And I mean, she's literally. Yeah, that's crazy. He references the fact that she's been releasing albums for 53 years. She's still alive. Yeah. Yeah, she's not doing too well these days. I was reading about it. it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it is kind she, of like bummer. broke her hip like last year or something. But she, I mean, she's been releasing albums as late as I want to say 2015 or 2016. Yeah, I think she's she in her 80s her. right now. Yeah, so she's probably not releasing anymore. But yeah, that I think you're right. 2015 or 2016, and it's crazy because if you look at her album covers, they look exactly the same. All of them do, <laughs> really. It's like a different look at that. It's like a different color dress, but she always like she stands exactly like she's standing on the cover of Coal Miner's Daughter. She only knows one in way. These, like, in these like high waisted kind of empire dresses, if that makes sense to anybody out there. And um and they're just like slightly different colors. Always like bright blue pastels, oftentimes. I like it. Rhinestones. <laughs> nice. That's a country thing. That's a Dolly Parton does that too. Very much so. Very much so. What do you have to say about James Brown? Hardest working man in show business is on the scene like a sex machine. Fuck yeah. Yeah. He loves the brass section throughout. Um, he says, although the chorus all through the first tracks get repetitive ad nauseum. Fuck you, Rex, you son of a bitch. The rest of the album. We're not having is- you on this podcast. <laughs> the rest of the album is hardcore soul R&B with the real James Brown singing his ass off and most likely putting on a hell of a show. I was just kidding, Rex. Rex yeah, we'll have I'm just we're going to have you on at some point. But um, but yeah, it's funny because what you thought was repetitive ad nauseum, I got lost in it. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like I, I got, I got a little bit sad. <laughs> I got a little bit sad when the title track was over. Listen, I got a little bit sad when "Give It Up" or "Turn It A Loose" uh, was over. Yes, there's a lot, dude. I but but again, I'm. I recognize that I could be in, I mean, whatever. I love this album. You're in the James Brown honeymoon phase. I am. I am. <laughs> but that's, I am. maybe we'll be there forever. <laughs> I you know could what be I mean? there forever. Yeah. I, I could be too, I think. I could be there forever. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's move on. Should we move on? Let's do it. All right. Coming in at 438 is Blur Park Life from 1994. Blur improbably burst into the mainstream with Park Life's Girls and Boys, a five-minute disco rock barn burner about cross-dressing bisexual libertines. They also sang about the joys of slacking in Park Life, but also how boring it is to conform an end of the century, and they transformed a map of England into a metaphor for surviving rough patches in This Is a Low. 
Frontman Damon Albarn's gifts for storytelling, sing-along melodies, and anglophilia set up Blur as heirs apparent to the kinks and fierce rivals to Oasis for Brit Pop's crown, which basically means that Rolling Stone has decided Oasis won that because uh, <laughs> there has to be Oasis on here, right? What's the story? Morning Glory It's probably on here, and it's going to be above this, obviously. So, well, it's definitely it's listen. It has to be on the list, I would assume. Yeah, and it's definitely above this. Yeah, where do they you, where do you think that album lands? Actually, in the high three hundreds between three fifty and four hundred. Hmm. That's my guess. What about you? Are we doing another bet? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta fucking bet? get my winnings back somehow. All right, fuck man. I'm, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make note on this here oasis because bet. I'm pretty sure we. For those who don't know, we do have a bet because Mike was 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 asserting that never mind, never mind. Yes. by Nirvana is in the top ten, and I was like, that's fucking crazy talk. There's no way. And then the more I think about it, I think I lost. <laughs> we do, we don't know. We haven't looked it up. But people have given me some like winks, and so I think that I probably lost. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they've been giving you those notorious winks. Yeah, I, I really haven't looked it up, but I've gotten a couple winks from people. Okay, so let's listen. Let's let's get down to brass tacks on this Oasis bet, so <laughs> that way we can get back to Blur. Yeah. Do I get to go? I'm going first. I I, I think it's in three fifty to four hundred. What do you think it's in? Just because I had already said that. Yeah. I'm going to say 200 to 250. Holy shit, dude. Really? Might be higher than that. It might be top 200. That would be crazy. I would disagree with that. This list would suck. <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> I mean, it, it, listen, it would, it would serve as further confirmation of the suckiness of the list. Right? Okay. Um, that'll be fun. That bet's in the books. So this is like the beginning of my crippling gambling addiction. <laughs> as I lose both of these... <laughs> Did you like this album? So would you actually, I'm sorry. You go ahead. I totally cut you off. That's okay. And I I apologize. Before the, (laughs) (laughs) before the podcast started, JB and I were talking specifically about blur. And I mentioned to him and I brought to his attention for the first time that this was Damon Albarn was part of this group (laughs) from the gorillas. And JB made the comment. He goes, Holy shit. Man, that makes sense because a lot of these songs sounded like the gorillas. Yeah, and I was wondering it so much that I think I wrote it down in a couple songs. <laughs> and I suppose I could have done a quick Google search. <laughs> I had the resources and I just didn't do that. Um, but I think I wrote it down this sounds a lot like the gorillas. Okay, so they're not the gorillas, but the voice. But the it voice. they don't sound like the band, you know. Yeah, nothing like the gorillas. But yeah, if you would have known that going into it do you think it would have tainted your opinion of it either better or worse? I think I would have, I think it would have been worse because I would have expected more because I like the gorillas and I think that he's a fantastic songwriter. I do you like too. the gorillas? I do. Yeah. So I think I would have been, I think I would have had high expectations and I didn't have high expectations for some reason. I assumed I didn't know what to expect. It sounded like a, like a grunge band to me, like from the, like given the time period and the name blur, you know, so I was thinking it's going to be like some kind of 90s grunge band, but obviously not one of the really good ones because it's not on the it's not very high on the list. Although yeah. Alice in Chains isn't on the list, right? At all. So, yeah, maybe that's not a tried and true method. <laughs> but so this album was my least favorite of the week, I will say. Check. But this was a fantastic week. I didn't hate this album. I didn't I didn't even dislike it, but I didn't like it. 
So I did know <laughs> about Dan that it was, Albert. yeah. And I did know about the gorillas connection. And so that's what fucked me. Yeah. That's what fucked me on this album. And listen, I'm not saying that if I would have been ignorant of what he did after he left blur that I would have, um, I don't know that I don't think that I would have fallen in love with this album anyway. Yeah. But you might've been a little more open to it. Yeah. It made it, it made it a lot more difficult. It made it a lot more difficult knowing that he was getting ready to like Clint Eastwood was only a few years after this. Was it really? Yeah. When was that? Like 2001, 2003, something like that. Oh, really? The first Gorillaz disc? I guess, yeah, that's right. Because did, that, did that have, um, what's the song? The windmill, windmill for the land, love forever, hand in hand. You know that song. No, Feel Good Ink. Feel Good Ink is on a bad, is it Bad Days Incorporated or something that, like that? Yeah. That's 2008. That was like their third. I think that's the third gorilla uh, Demon Days. I'm sorry, that's on Demon Days. Yes, and Demon Days is the third Gorillas release, I believe. Uh, okay, so Clint Eastwood was first. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, that was on the self-titled. Feel good, fantastic song too. It is, and it, like, just not to get off topic, but it's three chords. It's fucking three chords <laughs> on that chorus. But like, what an incredible hook that is. Yeah. You know? Um. So so all that being said. Yeah, we're not talking about <laughs> Blur right now. Yeah, we're not talking about Blur at all. Okay. But that's the uh, hard that's the hard part about this to me because um there were some songs on here that I really really loved. I'm not going to lie. I love to the end. Um I think that you get really yeah. interesting layers on that song. Lyrically, it's really really wonderful. It's subtle, like it's that to me that was the highlight. Yeah. yeah. Um I had two songs with uh Devil Star and it was to the end and it was This Is a Low. Yes. I I I, I fell in love with that song too. Yeah. That's the only so on my starring method, that's the only one that I gave that's the only one I gave three stars to. I really loved it. Um I loved the bass work on it. The guitar line in that song is really, really yeah. wonderful. And that was pretty psychedelic rocky. It was, it was really spacey. Um, yeah. There was a really cool guitar solo that was like double tracked on that yes. one, like two like two guitars at once. Really good tone, and it had a nice build to it. And I and I wrote down, I wish more tunes on this record felt like this. Yes, because I would have liked the record a lot if it if it all felt like that. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Tracy Jacks? Just out of curiosity, that was the second track. Yeah. Okay. So I wrote, fun little story of a song. Nothing super unique instrumentally. Vocally, it was fun, and lyrically, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of reminded me of like some like pop punky stuff, like some Green Day or something like that. Uh, um, but like like a more British Green Day, but with like with like Beach Boys backing vocals on it. Yeah, like the kind of thing yes, yeah. yeah. And I guess that's kind of what I was. Um, I guess that's a little bit about what I was thinking too. I didn't hear so much the, I didn't hear so much the pop punk. It reminded me of like the green day. I don't remember what year it would have been, but like with warning, you know, warning, mm -hmm. it's a fantastic song, but like just a similar vibe to it. The So because I had, um, because I had been looking, apparently Blur and Oasis were 
bitter arch enemies at this time, like vying for the title of post-Beatles, Brit pop champion type of shit. And so that was the other thing that I was doing while I was listening to this album is I was thinking about what was Oasis doing at the same time that this was happening. And I hate to say this, but I found Oasis's music just far more intriguing. Yeah, if that I would probably sense. agree. And I haven't even listened to that much Oasis, but and I would still probably agree with that. It felt like it was just trying too hard to me. Like it was, it was kind of a little all over the place stylistically. Yeah, and it just kind of felt contrived. Um, and I think what had maybe led to that was just the style itself. Because did you dig much into Britpop? Like what? So it's like it was a, t- a style of music that was intentionally like brighter and whimsical as a response to like the darker American grunge scene of the time. Oh, so it's almost weird. like they were intentionally like forcing it so just to, to have some kind of contrast to, to like to, to be somehow different than the dark. Cause the grunge scene was pretty like dark at the time. It was. Yeah. Yeah. But so still, fuck it that. seemed contrived to me. Yeah. I'm and and again, I didn't have that background going into it, but it, I don't know. It wasn't, it's, listen, it's just not my thing. I didn't add it. I didn't hate the fact that I listened to it. I'm glad that I listened to it, but that's kind of the same thoughts I had. It's like, it's worth a listen. Um, not that I'm going to, if like, if you're going to, if you're listening to this podcast and you're going to only listen to a couple records from that we talk about today, don't not listen one. to this one. Yeah. But if you have time and you're listening to all of them, you're not going to be upset that you listen to it. No. Um, but yeah, I didn't add it to digital. Not going to do the vinyl. No. I'm iffy about it being on the list. I mean, Britpop, just because it was a whole movement and and genre, should probably be represented. But I'm happy with Oasis doing the representing there. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Because I hopefully I'd... not with Mike winning the bet. <laughs> <laughs> In that range, even just thinking about even just thinking about the snubs that, you know, that were that we've already gone through in these bonus episodes, you know, I would. Yeah, I would happily put. I mean, honestly, I would I would happily put the opiate EP. I would rather have the opiate EP than this in some ways. But actually, that's not true because I don't want the opiate EP on the list. But I just don't necessarily want this album on the list because I think that there's plenty of other stuff that we should represent, especially from country music, which is horrifyingly underrepresented. And this yeah. is where Sturgill should come in. It seems weird, just considering the snubs, to have this one on there. I'm right there with you. In so. fact, meta, meta Modern Sounds and Country Music would be a wonderful 438. It'd be a good spot for it, yeah. Because I don't know that I would want to push that album way, way deeper into no, the list. It might even be a little high. Yeah, I would say, but, but it, but it, sh- but it should be, it should absolutely be on this list. It should probably be somewhere in the four hundreds, and it should be there so that way people recognize that country music has not been abandoned. No, it's still out there. It's still being made. It's and a- it, and it hasn't been, ba- and not all country music has been bastardized by pop or hip. If anything, it's been revitalized exactly by Tyler Childers and by Sturgill and by Chris Stapleton and yeah. Jason is like all of those guys are really giving credence to excuse me like real country real roots even cody jinks you know yes and it's not like that's not my my preferred brand of country but i recognize it and it's good yeah yeah so there's and that's just just to just to show that there's lots of artists we're not mentioning several do we even say chris stapleton did you say that i just yeah i just said it 
But Did I we think, say Sturgill but, Simpson? But yeah. <laughs> Stapleton has got to be on this list, though, because he wasn't on any of the snubs that we saw. And I'm imagining that the Traveler is going to make an appearance probably in the next block of 100. 100%. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rex, Rex was kind of... I don't know. Lukewarm on this. He said, nice early Britpop. Kind of dig it. Spoken word track on its self-titled song. Impressive guitar duet on Bank Holiday. This whole album is like visiting a genre of the British invasion. It tells of influences from the Kings and Oasis on certain tracks. Yeah. And see, I really did not like that spoken word track at all. That was like on the... Uh, Which one was it? Bank It was on Park Life. Oh. It was annoying to me. And even just the... Yeah, like with the Britpop thing, it was like bright, bright and ch- chippy to like push against the the dark American grunge, and just intentionally emphasized Britishness. It's literally what the article said that I was reading about it. Yeah, so it's just like you're. Yeah. Listen though, if you want to dig something from, if you want to dig something from Great Britain, um, just skip Blur and move right on to number Do four. Oasis. Oh, 437. <laughs> Let's okay. move right on to number 437. Are you good with that? Do you want to? Can we move on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, coming in at number 437 from 1991, the band is Primal Scream, and the name of the album is Screamadelica. Rolling Stone says Primal Scream was a run of the mill UK <clears throat> alt rock band who discovered a rave culture, overdosed on acid house music, and retrofitted their sound with the fun, trippy, druggy disco rock diversions on Screamadelica. The single Loaded, their first UK hit, combined house piano, folk melodies, and a danceable beat. While moving on up, their US breakthrough drew from hippie folk strumming, gospel choruses, and stonesy guitar and tambourine. Sure, some of Screamadelica feels like meandering mute music, but that's proof that sometimes the journey is more fun than the, than, the, than, the, than, the, than the destination. Yeah. This album rips, dude. Dude, so... Yeah, what I was going to say is like kind of every once in a while on this list, you know, we come across an album that is just a true like surprise and you really, truly fall in love with. You didn't know what to expect and it's just a real highlight of your week. And probably the most notable example for me thus far was has been Sparks. Oh, and this yeah. is and this is my Kimono new example. My house. Yes, Jesus. dude, that was a wild. I didn't didn't know what the fuck that was <laughs> and that was like like if nothing else comes of this podcast except for we discover that kind of stuff yeah worth or, it or can can is kind of this yeah same. can can's another one uh, yeah definitely yeah but this is my newest version of that and this is my i think this is my favorite one so far of Primal that screen? whole um it's my favorite kind of i didn't know what i was gonna more get than going sparks into it yeah, I think so. Wow. Because I'm just, just I'm a, like, I do have this weird soft spot for like house and EDM type music. Dude, I, I'm not even disagreeing. I'm just, it's a lot to think about. Yeah. But, but yeah, do, this was I, fucking wild. There's a part of me that just like, I, I've seen enough live EDM done really, really well that you can get, I mean, you can get lost in that music in a really, really wonderful way. And oh, yeah. so this, the way that this whole record was, predictive of what ended up happening decades later with electronic music is so mind-boggling to me and the other thing that's crazy about this is this is a five-piece band yeah this isn't dj music not at all and it's all over the place stylistically it's it just it just jumps from 
crazy genre to crazy genre but when it it's 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 like when it's drilling into any one of these individual genres it's finding the best part of that little piece and it's pulling it out yeah um and yeah so like this first track i, I talked to mike about this before i listened to this and mike was like it's like early edm it's like early dubstep almost at times and I listened to this first track moving on up and I was like, what the fuck is Mike talking about? Because <laughs> this first track is not that at all. No, <laughs> it's like a straight up. It sounds like the Stones. Like if yes. you told me this was the Rolling Stones, I would believe you. Like even the voice <laughs> kind of sounds like Mick Jagger a little bit. A little. Um, and it's got like these gospel choir vocals, which I had hinted a little bit about that earlier. There's a lot of that gospel choir stuff on this album and I love it. Um, there's like slide guitar, Southern rock sounds. Um, but then right when it goes to the next song, I was like, okay, I see what he's talking about. So, And it doesn't really let up either. No. Like once they start to go down that path, they just get more and more committed to and it. And it's just so catchy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even right now, I can like sing you the bass line from Slip Inside This House. Like the down, 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 <laughs> down, 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 down. And I, I just love that it just sticks with that like for like six minutes. And it, yeah. And I love when they, they have a great use of the the DJ formula, you know, which I don't know that I've talked a lot about the, no, have we talked tell about me the, the DJ, DJ formula. The DJ formula? Okay. Please. So the DJ formula is really cool. And it's not just like DJs, it's like jam bands use this too. Okay. Sometimes. Um, but the DJ formula is gradual cumulative addition of of parts. Ah, okay. And then partial subtraction and sudden reintroduction. Okay. 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 That's the DJ formula. Okay. So it's like when you build it up and you add a bunch of different things and you create a really, really funky groove, and then you take some of that away. Maybe you take the bass line away. Yep. Maybe you even take the drums away mm-hmm. for a certain number of bars, and then you bring it all back, and you're just like, "Woo!" And everybody's like, "God damn, yes. it's a party again!" <laughs> that's, that's all it takes. You can drive people fucking crazy. Literally, <laughs> it's simple. Yeah, but, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> but they use that a lot, and like to to very very good effect. Yeah. Um, some cool synthy sounds, like you like you were right about the early dubstep kind of stuff. Um, great vocals though. And I love, um, you listen to a lot of it, and like he's like a lot of it is kind of EDM-y, dubstepy, but then you get to a song like "Damaged," and it sounds like a Velvet Underground song or something. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, no, absolutely. It's like a singer-songwriter tune, like a slow one, with a really great guitar solo. It's just a rock song. That's all it is. It's you a, know? um, I thought about those as like a cool-off track. Yeah, right. And that, and they do like the pacing of this album is really really brilliant because yeah. like. They do exactly what JB is describing about. Like, I'm I'm totally gonna steal your DJ method now. Yeah. And by the should. way, next week is the king of all DJ. It's like the king of all DJ method bands with LCD sound system. Oh, sweet! I'm so excited about that. Um, but at the same time, they would throw these coolers in there that would give you a chance to kind of, if you will, think back to where you had been on the record before and be like, oh man, wow, this, it gave you, it gave you perspective. Yeah. Right. And that's in the terms whole, of everything that they were doing across all the tracks on the record. Giving you perspective is exactly right. And that's the thing with the DJ formula is it's not so much the high points that matter. 
it's the low points that make you miss the high points that matter. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's absence and you can tie it into what like Miles Davis w- was talking about when Miles Davis said things like, um, it's the notes you don't play that matter the most, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the space you leave. Um, and that's what the DJ formula is all about. It's about taking parts away and making someone miss them. And then just when they miss them the most, when they're, when they're missing of them reaches the the point, the highest point of the roller coaster where they're going to get sick of it or bored after then you put it back, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah, it's the, it's the absence of it that makes it mean more. Did you, um, so I made a note on here. Without this record, does kid a get made? Hmm. What year was kid a made? 2002, I think I mean, no, you could make an argument. 2001. You could make an argument that, that no, it doesn't. Or that it's different is fundamentally different, you know. And that's kind of what I was thinking because that was that's the band. Actually, October of two thousand is when Kid A comes out. That's what it's weird because the first time that I listened to this record, again, I was I was so shocked and kind of taken aback by how much of this weird electronica influence that you get in so many of these tracks that it really made me think. Man, because this is a five-piece, right? This is a traditional five-piece band that's making music that sounds, in some ways, very much like a traditional five-piece band. At times. But, then, but at, at other times, it doesn't sound anything like that Yeah, in my mind. You know, it sounds like it sounds like bass nectary or just any other type of traditional DJ music. And so that I think that, that whenever I got to the tail end of the sound, because it was really at the end that I was thinking to myself, you know, is is it stuff like this that made Tom York and and um, Johnny Greenwood and everybody else in Radiohead say, you know what, fuck these instruments. Like, there's other stuff that we can play, and we can make completely different sonic yeah. textures on an on a record. Yeah, I think no one would fault you for making that argument. I agree. Um, what do you think of? So, I just want to point out a couple of my favorite tunes yeah. from this. Yeah. Uh, Inner Flight was like an instrumental. Remember that one? Yes. It sounded like a fucking fantasy movie soundtrack almost so actually i thought about you when i was listening to that because there was a record and i don't remember how many weeks back it was but it was a panning vocal oh yeah and it was driving you nuts oh um do you remember what i'm talking about otis redding yes yeah but this was back and forth there was like panning synth back and forth. Yes. But and the that, Otis Redding thing was like his entire vocal trapped. the whole time was was trapped on the left. Oh, fuck yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's bullshit. And that may have just been that like that could have been. Well, no, it wouldn't have been mono stereo because if it was a mono recording, then everything would have been, been central. It, yeah, it would have been central. I was wondering if it was like a jukebox thing. Uh, yeah. I don't he, know. Either way, though, I loved on that inner flight. Like, I loved that panning effect that they were doing with the synths. No, I loved like, it too. Really, yeah. really loved it. And just the melody on that. It's like, um, it's like a flute, like kind of synth melody thing. And it's just, it's just a journey. Like, it sounds like, it sounds like it reminded me of Peter Pan yeah. <laughs> for some reason. Listen, <laughs> listen, I really, really, <laughs> I loved, I loved Don't Fight It, Feel It. I loved the single mix of Higher Than the Sun. And I, I also loved the dub symphony in two parts. Yeah, too. that was, yeah. But I'm Coming Down may have been like one of my favorites on the track because it was a super, super cooler 
track on the album, but it was one of those that I listened to it and it was, it was perfect lyrically and musically. It's, it's rare that you get a song where the music exactly makes the lyrics make perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. But this one did it for me. Cause it, it was literally, it was literally a song about, Song about coming down. Right? Well, yeah, and it, it was also yeah. It, it's kind of like lyrically, it's kind of talking about the downfalls of drug use. It's kind of what I picked up on. Like it, like it's not all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> yeah, I I also made a note on here that this is the Las Vegas theme song. <laughs> oh yeah, um, the right. saxophone on that was was wild. Yes. Actually, some unique saxophone playing. Yes, absolutely. That's the one where it was pretty psychedelic throughout. And then at the very end, it like quieted down. And there was like this girl that was like, yep, I know that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) I loved that. Remember that? Yes. No. And I made the same note. I said, um, I said, and sample is classic. Yep. I know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of samples, I loved Loaded, dude. I know. That's the one where he's like, we want to be free to do what we want to do. And that, that, that sample kept coming up. What was that from? Do you know? Okay. So yes. So I dug into that because I'm like you, like I really, really loved it and I wanted to know what the deal was. So it's from, um, a Peter Fonda movie, um, called the wild angels. Oh man. I want to watch that movie. Yeah. That's what it's from. I love that. He's like, we want to, we want to have a good time. We're going to have a party. <laughs> and then the song like started right after that. And that track also samples um, Edie Burkell and the New Bohemian, um, or in the New Bohemians, What I Am. Like the drum beat from What I Am by Edie Burkell and the New Bohemians is also sampled in Loaded. That was fantastic. I loved Loaded. Yes. For me, if you're going to listen to... If you're gonna listen to three songs off this, because you gotta listen to at least three. Yeah, you three, gotta listen to at least three. I would say loaded. I would say come together. Cause I fucking loved come together. Do you remember that one? That was the one with all the the yeah. gospel choir. Yes. Like EDM kind of beat, but like Velvet Underground y vocals. Yes. Except for the drums were not that at all, you know? And then horns all over the place. All over the place. And you gotta listen to damaged for me just because i think that's a fantastic tune and that's like not like the rest of the record at all you know yeah and that's um yeah so that's the that's the one thing that i would say is that if you know if you listen to damaged and you expect that on the rest of this record you're going to be sorely disappointed yeah moving on up is like the only only other song that's similar i would tell you that a lot like sex machine i would tell you to carve out an hour of your life to listen to this whole record because i think that it's really I think it's really special. I really do. Like, I, I think that, you know, and again, not knowing anything about Primal Scream, this is the first Primal Scream record that I've ever heard. Yeah. So maybe, same. You know, maybe I'm just a moron and I need to do more listening for Primal Scream. Could but, be the case with me too. Yeah. But, but either way, I think that, yeah, I think that you got to carve out an hour of your life to find the whole thing. If you don't want to do that, listen, Loaded is on my list too. So I would tell you to listen to Loaded. And then, the the single mix for higher than the sun it's like three and a half minutes it's it's nice it's concise and it gives you a feel for what you could get with what you could get with the rest of this yep i agree but uh i did add to digital and if there's vinyl i'll buy it for sure yes yes and definitely good with it being on the list What, what do you think about the position you like the position of it i think it's pretty good do you think it should be higher um, 
You think it should be lower? I I think I think I would probably be okay with it being closer to 400. I think I could move it up a little bit. I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't break it out of the 400s and yeah. I probably wouldn't move it any lower than what it is. I could play with it a little bit, but I think it's close to the range where it yeah. should probably be. Yeah, I agree. But Thank really you. fantastic. Thank you Rolling Stone though because there's so much of your list that really really blows. Yeah. Huge dicks. This one didn't. I mean, this one this so is, much of yeah. this week that was so good, but I kind of had like a "Where Have You Been All My Life" moment with this song. With I felt this the same record. Way. Yeah, I felt the same way. Should we do the last one of the week? Let's do it. Let's kill it. Coming in, mm. four thirty-six. Mm. Get your thug passion mixed. Mm. All right, <laughs> two parts Alize, one part Chris Dow. That's right. <laughs> New drink. All right. All right. So coming in at four thirty-six <laughs> is Tupac. All eyes on me. Death Row Records from 1996. Motherfucker. <laughs> Tupac wanted it all. Credibility and success. Murderous lyrics and voice of a generation. Gravitas. On his fourth and final album, Rest he briefly gets, indeed, he briefly gets it. In the course of 27 songs and two discs, Pac empties his brain of the contradictory impulses. The Dr. Dre track, California Love, became a huge house party hit. But what unifies the album through an array of different producers and guest stars is Pac's charisma and his struggles with morality. Quote, it's similar to Rhythm Nation, but thugged out. Forgive me, Janet. <laughs> I should have wrapped that, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should have. Probably have. I'm not going to, though. <laughs> All right. For the sake of our listeners. <laughs> what do you think, Mike? I'm scandalous. Scandalous. So How many scary. fucking Nate Dog features do you get on this on this album that just make you pine for more Nate Dog? All of them. He smashes. Yeah. He fucking smashes. He really time does. And time again. I and we and we talked about this some last week. We're both pretty familiar. Yeah, right? super familiar with this record. Yeah. Really, really love it. And honestly, not to jump the gun, but I'm disappointed that it's this low. In terms of like what it like what this record means for hip hop, what it was relative to other music that was yeah. coming out in hip hop in nineteen ninety six. Well, I was gonna wait to talk about this till later, but we might as well talk about it now because it kind of ties into what you're saying is so there's that age old hip hop argument, hip hop or Tupac versus Biggie. Yeah. Ready to die has to be on the list, right? Absolutely. So they decided that Biggie won, which is pretty fucked up because I feel the opposite. <laughs> and I love Biggie. I love Biggie. But also that means that surely Doggy Styles on the list. So that's higher. Surely the Chronic is on the list. So that's also higher. There's a tremendous there's a tremendous amount of rap between 1991 and 1998 even. Yeah, that's way fucking higher on this list than Tupac. Yeah, and that's and a little disappointing. Tupac's my favorite. He's my favorite rapper. Is he your favorite rapper? Yeah. Period. I think so. You like Tupac more than Kanye? In terms of rapper, yes, because Kanye is. I, I love his production. Yeah. You know, but in terms of just like his rapping style, oh yeah, fuck yeah, Tupac all the way. Yeah. How about you? I like Tupac's flow a lot better. Yeah. You know? Who's Who's your favorite rapper? Ice Cube. Yeah. I feel you. Cube is like, Cube is it for me. And and a close number two for me would be Red Man. 
Yeah. And Redman, and so shout out to Redman for getting the feature on this, right? Because um, Got My Mind Made Up is the song that uh, Redman and Method Man are both on, along with um, Immortal Outlaws, which was like Tupac's um, crew of homies. And Immortal Outlaws are on a ton of the tracks all across both discs. So this is a yeah. double disc, um, and they're they're really, really all over the place. But I do... I love Red Man. Yeah, me too. I really, really love Red Man. But and actually, speaking of double disc, it's actually the first ever full length hip hop album. All Eyes on Me was solo. The first ever solo full length double album. Double LP. Yeah, of all time. And for the record, and again, this is something that JB and I were talking about before the podcast. At this time, in the mid '90s, in the early '90s, in the late '90s, early 2000s, fuck, even today. Half of the hip hop albums that are released, you get at least two or three of these like skits, terrible right? skits, like yeah. skit tracks that I'm sure they seemed like a really good idea when you were in the recording studio. But and I'm sure they were a ton of fun to make. Thank you. And they might be fun for us to listen to once. But then <laughs> after that, we're like, OK, we get it. Skip. I mean, how often yeah. do you not? Like I'm skipping those fucking skits every there's, time. There's only a handful of times that I will listen to a skit and oh. it's got to be on one of those. Like it's a seminal recording that the skit has become ingrained in what the record is. I'll listen to a couple of the Eminem skits. Yes. Just because they're so short. They're not long and yeah. arduous, you know, <laughs> red man fits the bill for me. Like, yeah, like on muddy waters, which is my favorite red man. album. there's this skit called the, the fucked up chicken head convention. And it's literally like this fake news reporter walking around talking to like chicken headed women about why they're chicken heads and like what makes them a chicken. What head. does that mean? A chicken head is like a, like a, like a hoe from the neighborhood. That's just like, she's kind of, gross and kind of nasty but she doesn't give a fuck right (laughs) so like on the fucked up chicken heads convention skit she's like so what makes you a fucked up chicken head and this girl's like shit i'll be going to the grocery store i'll be i'll be i'll be going there right after work and and i'll stick my hand in my pants i'll be digging in my ass girl and she's like oh damn girl you are a chicken head that type of thing damn but but i really love it terrifying (laughs) people do that shit i need to do a better job of washing my produce (laughs) (laughs) but this is a double album two hours and 15 minutes long and there are approximately zero skits yeah i mean you can maybe argue the one that we were talking about is what's your phone number which is just like a straight up transcript of phone sex (laughs) but (laughs) it's like a transcripted phone sex slash skit um at the tail end and that's the last song on the first disc but outside of that you get a little bit of a skit in checkout time but I actually really, yeah. really love the skit in Checkout Time because it doesn't because it's also music and it. it what were you gonna say? The music is really good, yeah. right? So like the beat and the baseline and everything that's happening before that is really cool, and it also that's one of those skits that legitimately makes me laugh because at one point in time, um, the guy's like, "Yo, the front desk called. We got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, has anybody got a haunted? Yeah, <laughs> like who's got some cash? Like, come on, we got to get the fuck out of here." That's and I awesome. just and I just kind of love it because you don't ever lose the music, right? You don't lose the backing beat. You don't lose the music behind it. No, it's not just a skit. It's music. It's within the music. And it's same playful. for the phone sex one. You know. Yeah. Um. Did you know? So ambitions as a writer, which I love that fucking song. I know you do. Did you know that was recorded literally the day Tupac got out of prison? 
that does not surprise me. He got out of fucking prison. He flew to another state and he recorded this 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 song. <laughs> and he recorded that song and I ain't mad at you. Stayed up like all night, I guess, and did really? those two songs the very night he got out of prison. He was like, he got out of fucking prison. He'd been there for like eleven months. Yeah. And he was ready to fucking go. And he's like, oh, we're gonna record these songs today. <laughs> he did that. And the whole record was recorded in two weeks. All twenty-seven songs. What? Two weeks. Yeah. That's fucking astounding. It really is. It's yeah. At the same time, you know, he was in prison right before the recording of this album. So guy had nothing to do. He had some time but, to write. Yeah. yeah, but come up with bangers on this. But honestly, the most shocking part about that is how many features are on here, how well the features are worked in to this record. Um you know, Snoop does a, a fantastic feature on two of America's most oh, wanted. Fuck yeah, that's so famous. Um, no More Pain is a great song on the first disc. Of course, listen, California Love is also on this record. And if you haven't heard California Love, you need to get out from underneath your rock like more often than what you do. But I, I just I love it. Like this is a time capsule for me. Like no like nobody else. Dude, the personnel on this record is just <clears throat> ridiculous. And I'm trying to read dude, I I was gonna count it, but it's uncountable right now. <laughs> I'll 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 do like a it's so it's three columns on Wikipedia. One, two. One second. Almost done. Hang in there. Hang in there. Uh, so it's 32. So it's at least 96 people <laughs> that are li- li- listed in the production of or in the personnel section of this album. Just composers, vocals, background vocals, associate engineers, rather you know various instruments. A lot of a lot of vocals. So there's there's so many people that contributed vocals to this record. Two weeks. Two done in two fucking weeks. weeks this thing was recorded yeah. in. And it, it just ties into another thing I was going to talk about, which is like I feel like there's a lot of stereotypicals of just like these gangster raps, and they're just like you know hoodlums or whatever. But like the work ethic of these guys, yeah, they recorded the shit in two weeks. This is not easy to do. This is the '90s. It wasn't easy to go on and make make this kind of production level, you know, to make tracks like this and make beats like this. Yeah, the technology was not as it as good as it is today even today you would you know to make something like this in two weeks would be impressive it'd be really difficult to do this in 1996 when they're you know using fucking tapes and shit like the the, it's it's wild it's like the worth like work ethic of these guys really stand out seriously another thing that we talked about jb and i before the podcast was this is a double lp and it's Every fucking bit of a double OP at two minutes and 15 seconds, 27 tracks. That is as double OP as you get. And I think anytime you get an artist that releases a double OP, you have to question really like, is, is this, was this necessary or should you have edited out the shittier tracks, either put them in the bank, like release them another day. Should you have done something different to not have to release a double LP? Yeah. And I am firmly in the no. Can't. It's hard to make that argument here. 
Like, I think it's really challenging. Even in the very back half, there's some fantastic songs like Run the Streets, All Eyes on Me, yep. Rather Be, uh, Can't Say That Word, um, are all at the very end of this album. And like those are really great songs. Like especially, good beats, good hooks, good rapping. Especially All Eyes on Me. Oh, and, God. And yeah. Run the Streets. Like, I mean, both of those. Heaven Ain't Hard, uh, Heaven Ain't hard to find i really really like like that's kind of a cooler the one before that ain't hard to find that's like a biggie diss track right yes that's what i took it as yeah Yeah. they talk about like come on out here we ain't hard to find i know so that so i mean a couple of things right at 436 is where this thing falls in so my first question and i don't know the answer to it i'm curious as to what you think do we see another tupac album on the list this is my favorite one it's my favorite too. Yeah. But I'm wondering if we don't see Tupacalypse now. That's what I was wondering too. It's possible. I kind of think not for some reason. Really? I don't know. What do you think? I think that would be disappointing. I wouldn't put it past these fucks and roll this down. <laughs> I mean, it would definitely be disappointing. And there's also a part of me that's disappointed with Tupac being. Okay. So in the pantheon of hip-hop artists that that i hold at a really really high level tupac is on that short list yeah and the fact that he's the first one that appears on the list with what literally one of my favorite albums period it's kind of it's disappointing yeah it's it's too far and for me he's the top of my list literally like he's, yeah, he's favorite. my favorite like hip-hop artist for sure the swag and, that he's got. Yeah. And the fucking swag Unbeatable. that Tupac has is it's completely unmatched. And he was just such man, he was a force. And he was intelligent. He was really, really super smart. smart. Yeah. Super, super smart guy. And if and this listen, record goes, go ahead. I was just gonna say, if you listen to lyrically, and it's not so much on this record, because a lot of this record was was post prison. And and listen, Tupac got himself into a lot of trouble. Yeah, he did. Like yeah. he wasn't he was no angel like he was kind of constantly battling court issues and battling um charges that were brought against him but at the same time i mean listen he was super super talented definitely very talented can't argue that and you don't get so much of the social commentary on this record like yeah. you do on some of his earlier albums yeah and so this is pretty much gangster rap unapologetically and doesn't have a lot of those moralistic kind of commentary themes like like you said with his first couple albums yeah but although, although fantastic. I, did, I did take a side track down the wikipedia for one dolores tucker <laughs> did you bother doing that at all does that name does that name even stand out to you after listening to this record? No. Dolores Tucker used a motherfucker. What's that from? Instead of trying to help it, you destroy a brother. <laughs> Which one is that from? Um fuck. What song is that from? Might be from Trade and War Stories. Oh yeah. But what what's the deal with I Dolores Tucker? I feel like that's what that is. So Dolores Tucker was an activist um, that was really, really anti-hip-hop because uh. of the misogynistic messages in hip-hop, which, listen, she's not wrong. No, she's totally right. I and mean, to, to that, to that, uh, to that, <laughs> to that opinion there, um, a good majority of this is just about Tupac fucking random bitches. Okay. And then he has the nerve to write a song like wonder why they call you bitch, which is like him where he's basically like condemning a woman because she's a slut. Yeah. 
which it's he's, like well he's justifying he's justifying the objectification of women because this one because this one woman's a slut yeah but he's like condemning her for it and he's saying like he's basically like wishing her that he hopes she'll wise up one day and become a respectable woman and then he's talking about like like the phone sex song he doesn't even know who the woman is some random girl calls him and she's like hey you remember me he's like oh do we fuck and she's like yeah and he's like all right i'll be over there soon i'll be there real soon yeah (laughs) yeah i mean listen that's and not that i'm condoning any of that shit either but no but at the same time you can't have a conversation about any hip-hop release since 1990 and not have to at least acknowledge the fact that there's just severe misogyny that takes place in yeah. hip-hop and so that's why i was thinking that's just a little hypocritical like if you're gonna do it cool but at least don't condemn women for doing it too, you know <laughs> right I mean? right um i listen i already had this i actually already owned this on vinyl and i already owned do you really yeah that's awesome now i gotta have it it's yeah. It's fucking rad too. It's yeah. I'm gonna get it on vinyl. Yeah, you and need I to. have it. On, I'm gonna get. I, I did add it to Dig. Yeah, I already had it. I already had it in my digital library. I already had it on vinyl. I this fucking this record bangs. Um, if you're only gonna listen to, I guess I'll I'll limit it to three tracks, and I'm not gonna include California Love because if you haven't listened to California Love, because you, yeah, you've heard that. Fuck off, like you've already heard it. So the three tracks that I want you to listen to, how do you want it? How do you want it? How does it feel? Um, two of America's Most Wanted. You got to listen to Snoop and Tupac um, trade shit back and forth because it's really, really good. And then I'm actually going to go with Can't See Me. Ooh. I'd probably say, funk in your life. I'd probably say, How do you want it also? Ambitions as a writer, man. All eyes on me. Oh, shit. Going deep in this, too. I love that all eyes on me call though. Yeah. I really, really listen. I love that. It's, it's all tough. Eyes for, on me. Yeah. It's tough for me to say, listen to the whole thing. Cause it's two hours and 15 minutes, but yeah, if you're into hip hop and you, for whatever reason, haven't discovered this album or haven't gotten into this album, um, for you, you do need to knuckle down and spend all two hours and 15 minutes with yeah, it. Yeah. If you're a hip hop fan and you haven't listened to this, what are you doing with your life? I, I don't know. Yeah. Solid question. Okay. okay. A great week, a fantastic week. I loved it. I mean, I it's been it's been a hot minute since I think we've had a week that's been this strong, and I just yeah. hope that because we're getting now into the into the high four hundreds, I hope we get more of these. We're gonna have more and more of those. Yeah, we are gonna be doing another episode tonight. We're gonna be doing a bonus episode. We're gonna take about a fifteen minute break, I would say. Yep, and we'll get back to that's gonna be live streaming on YouTube as well for those watching. You know, go grab a coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go ahead and preview. Next, next week? week's yeah absolutely so uh next week if you're playing along at home number 435 is the first time we'll be talking about next week it is the album entitled actually from the pet shop boys from 1987 434 is pavements crooked rain crooked rain from 1994 after that <sighs> so excited 433 is a Literally one of my favorite records. Ah, um, LCD Sound Systems record from 2007, Sound of Silver. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that one, so and can't we're wait. excited about it. Yeah, 432 is one that Lee Stamper of OnlyLee.com is really excited about. Super uh, excited. Usher Confessions from 04, <laughs> 1904. Then, that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then the last thing we'll be listening to next week is going to be number 431 from 1984, the Los Lobos albums, How Will the Wolf Survive? I'm excited about that. I haven't... Yeah. Haven't I know like one Los Lobos song, so I'm excited to get into that as well. Yeah. So... Um, so so that everybody knows next week, we are going to be doing another guest of the show next week. So we'll be back to Friday. Okay. Then yeah. listen, here's my mea culpa. Everybody that has ingrained our podcast into some part of their weekend life. <laughs> first and foremost, thank you. Like we really do appreciate everybody listening. We truly do. And I'm really sorry. I, we made the decision to push this week to try to get yeah, uh, the best quality production that we could rather than try to stay on time because and it's was, not it's I not your fault it was a joint Texas. decision so yeah listen either way um next week we're back to friday um and we're also going to be having a very 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 special guest host and that is going to be the one and only from only lee.com yeah lee stamper we had to do this as a consolation because he was pissed about the ad revenue from friday night so. i know listen we signed we signed a really sticky NDA and I can't get into the details a whole lot on this, but let's just say that that Facebook post where he was talking about the legal teams, this is, this is high stakes legal yeah. um, finagling that basically brought us out of the hot water from not releasing content according yeah. to the schedule um, and getting Lee Stamper on the show. Yeah. Mike and I are basically just pawns of only Lee.com at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Of the only Lee machine. <laughs> As always, thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. Um, really do appreciate it. If you want to send us a message, you can go to www.anchor.fm forward slash this sucks and you can leave us a voicemail, which we would absolutely love because we like playing them on the show. They're great. Or you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. So connect with us on social if you want. Um, subscribe to us on Facebook or on YouTube if yep. you're watching it on YouTube. And you can always send us an email as well. And our email address is thislistsucks at gmail.com. So, yep. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. It sucks. Let me leave the stream up. Let's end it.